I want to invite you to open your Bibles to First Peter. First Peter. First, let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews comes first before First Peter. So, Hebrews chapter 13. And I welcome those who are visiting us. Be welcome. Hebrews chapter 13. I want to invite you to stand up if you can. We have been walking through this theology of the church. And now we have been dealing with some very specific duties and responsibilities. We have moved from the general duties of all Christians in their local churches. And now we're kind of dealing with the specific ones. The specific ones especially between church leaders and the congregation. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, we see here one of the duties of leaders in the church. The author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Here's the reason. Because they're perfect. Because they're sinless. By no means. Because they're keeping watching over your souls. As those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. First Peter 5. And we can just picture as Peter is exhorting those pastors in those local churches in Asia Minor, the image of John 21. Do you remember John chapter 21? Jesus appears to Peter and restores saying, Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. So feed my sheep. So Peter, that same man, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. And here's the great duty and command. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willing, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You may be seated in our prayer is that the Lord would help us, enable us. As we have been talking about leadership in the church, I thought about some of the main books nowadays that's very popular for church leaders. And I would not say among Reformed churches, but in general, as you Google, as you go to Amazon and you start looking at the primary books that church leaders should be reading, here are the main themes. How to motivate the team. Books related to business strategies. How to win influence. The power of us. Why? It, it's, a, it's kind of the thing of, you cannot say you, you've got to say us. You've got to place yourself there. And there is a sense, I agree with that, because pastors, elders, they are not above in a sense of perfection. But the whole concept is very messed up and not biblical. Because when I stand here, yes, I'm your shepherd and I'm among you, but I'm standing here as God's herald. I'm proclaiming a message of God to you. It's to you. In ancient times, when a herald would come and preach, he would not say, we, we, we. He would say, you, because he's speaking on behalf of the king. So there is this 
misunderstanding that if the preacher saying you, he's arrogant. I think there are preachers who are arrogant and they say you. And there are preachers who are arrogant and say us. You need to understand why. So the whole concept of the power of us is to show, hey, you're just like anybody else. Don't use you. That's offensive. And, and, and the most popular theme in the books of, for leaders is about vision. How to cast your vision. The members need to know your vision. And, and, uh, and I know just talking to pastors, friend of mine, that's one of the main topics is to be a visionary. And what is the vision that the Lord is giving you? My vision is right here. Every Sunday, stand up and preach book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And the problem is, the church has been contaminated and infected by all sorts of ideologies that are not biblical in relation to church leadership. We have been infected, contaminated by all sorts of traditions that are not from the Bible. I would say from the titles that pastors now receive, so many titles that you don't find in the Bible. Senior pastor. Who is the senior pastor? Jesus Christ. Executive pastor. Children's pastor. And you have all sorts of pastors that you just don't find in the Scriptures. It's elders. Elders pastor. Not only the titles, but the functions. So, the church is very confused about this topic of leadership. I love the Fiddler on the Roof. I think the lessons in the Fiddler on the Roof, they're amazing. And remember Tavia. And I think so many Christians, just like Tavia, they have been confusing tradition with the truth. Tradition. And we, that's all we want. And we are so confused. We don't know any longer what is true and what is tradition of man. So, your expectations, what you want, what you desire from your leaders, must be shaped informed and structured by what? The truth of God, the Scriptures. Okay? What you want from your church leaders, what you desire from your church leaders, must be shaped, must be structured by the Word of God. Uh, in God's providence, uh, uh, a friend of mine sent me an email with this quote from J.C. Ryle. And I think that applies very well to this topic of leadership in the church. J.C. Ryle says, the true Christian was intended by Christ to prove all things by the Word of God. All churches, all ministers, all teaching, all preaching, all doctrines, all sermons, all writings, all, all opinions, all practice. These are His marching orders. Prove all by the Word of God. Measure all by the measure of the Bible. Compare all with the standard of the Bible. Weigh all in the balances of the Bible. Examine all by the light of the Bible. Test all in the crucible of the Bible. That which cannot abide in the fire of the Bible, reject, refuse, repudiate, and cast away. This is the flag which he nailed to the mast, may it never be lowered. So that's why we have been going through the New Testament. And showing what are the requirements? What should you expect from the church leaders? And it's interesting, First Peter, First Peter 5.1, you see that Peter is exhorting the elders, the leaders of the churches, in the public gathering. Think about that. Why is Peter doing that? Why, Peter, why don't you just put a footnote and say, hey, 
have a, a, an elders meeting and then you deal with the afterwards. Why is he bringing it to the public? And if you go through the letter of First Peter, you see that he was addressing husbands, wives, servants, all Christians. And now he moves and he starts addressing the leaders of the church. Why is he doing that publicly? Why not in private? Put an extra page in his letter and say, hey, that's for a private conversation. It's just the church leaders. No, it's public. Why? So all the church members know what they are to expect from their leaders. So all the members of the church and those who aspire to be elders, pastors, they should know what God expects from them. And also, so the church members can be praying for their leaders for these things. So it's very important. Here, Peter is saying, here's what you must expect of your church leaders. And you should not expect more or less that's very important. You should not expect more than what the Bible commands or less than what the Bible requires. Why? You're going to fall into idolatry. Remember Jim Jones? Say, how could people follow them in? Jimmy Swagger, how could people follow them in? No biblical standards. No biblical standards. Once you start expecting less, you're compromising the Word of God. And often people expect less because the church is providing something Good for them. So, man, the church has such a wonderful youth ministry. Even though the pastors don't fulfill their roles, we need to go there. You see, you're expecting less from the pastors because the church is offering something that you like it. Personal preference. The pastors have not been teaching the Word. People are starving, but they stay there because I can't leave this church. I have been here for so long. What, people, what will people think about me? If I leave this church. So it's very crucial that we understand that God wants all church members to know what they are to expect from their pastors. And you ought not to expect more than what God requires. Otherwise, you will be frustrated. You will be frustrated because you're expecting more than what the Lord requires from His leaders. And as you think about the topic of leadership, just remember this. The spiritual maturity of a church... The zeal for spiritual things in a church will never pass the church leaders. We will never pass the pulpit of the church. They are the ones whom God placed right there. So, where you have weak church leaders, unbiblical church leaders, do not expect the church to thrive biblically. Biblically. You can thrive in the worldly way, but not biblically. So, as we move here... You remember the outline from last Sunday? We saw who the leaders of the church are, what the leaders do, and now we have how the leaders are to lead the church, and then the leaders' rewards. So I'm going to go briefly, and I hope that those who were not here last Lord's Day, and you got my email, I hope that you listen and watch so it's all fresh in your mind, and you, you know what we're doing here. So we see Hebrews... 13, let's, let's review very quickly here. The author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders. He doesn't say who the leaders are. He just says, Obey your leaders. Expecting that all the church members there, they were in a local church, they were under leadership, and they knew who their leaders were. That's very important. The Bible presupposes that every Christian is in a local church under a specific leadership. So we walked through and we saw that the leaders, the 
the author of Hebrew here refers, they are mainly called elders throughout the New Testament, and these elders are spirited appointed, biblical qualified, and church recognized men who serve the church by overseeing and shepherding. So we saw last Lord's Day. And remember, I, I, I don't have here, but you remember that chart where the words elder, overseer, and shepherd, pastor, they all refer to the same office. So it's not like the elder is one man, then you have the pastor is another man, and the, the bishop of, or the overseer is another man. No, they all refer to the same office of elder. And we saw that the title elder comes from the Old Testament and referred to the leaders of families and clans. And then later on, it started referring to the leaders in the synagogues. doesn't necessarily speak of the age of the person. And then we also saw that in the Greco-Roman world, elders were officials. Men who held, who held important offices in towns, in cities. So I'm not going to spend more time here. Then we saw that the terminology determines what they do. So there are elders, there are shepherds, there are overseers. And then we walk through 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through, maybe just 1, 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, that's where we stopped last Lord's Day. The, the imperative to the elders, shepherd, pastor the flock of God. And what is the difference between shepherd and pastor? No, they're the same word. They refer to the same thing. Pastor comes from the Latin word pastor that comes from pasture. Why? Because the pastor, the main duty was to lead the sheep into the pasture so the sheep would be fed. And we saw that this title of pastor, shepherd, this metaphor comes from the Old Testament where Yahweh, God, as then read here in Isaiah 40 verse 11, God is the, the great shepherd. He is the true pastor. But he exercises his rule through what? How does God exercise his leadership? Men, through the instrumentality of other men. And those men were called the shepherds of Israel. So God has always exercised his pastoral office through men. For example, Psalm 77. Psalm 77, verse 19 through 20. It says, You, Lord, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron were the instrument that God used to shepherd his people. And then Joshua, David, and all the faithful kings were called shepherds. And he also had the bad shepherds in Israel. And you start reading the prophetic books, you see so much of the the content of those books are related to condemnation. Woe to the shepherds of Israel. Why? Because they were feeding themselves. They were not taking care of the sheep. And God promises, one of the promises of the new covenant is that the days are coming when I will place a new shepherd over, over my people. A shepherd from the line of David and this shepherd, Jesus Christ, would exercise his pastoral office through a man. I will give them shepherds after my own heart, Ezekiel says, and they will feed my people what? Knowledge, discernment. So Jesus exercised his pastoral office today through the instrument of man. And then we saw that the the metaphor of shepherding have three major, three major duties. The shepherd guides or leads, 
He guards, He protects, and He feeds the people of God. So we saw that. I'm not going to spend my time here. Let's keep moving through First Peter. That's where we stop. Shepherd the flock of God. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. Very important word. Episcopos. Epi, it's the prefix. Intensifies, bringing intensity. And then it's kopos. From where we get, what word in English? You guys like guns. Scope. Scope. Right? You have a scope. Episcopos. To scope, to see. The word speaks of looking with a lot of intensity. It means to keep watch over something. This word was used for guarding something, caring. The, the, the word was used for people. They, they, they would study documents to see if there were no loopholes or anything. So they would read the documents to make sure that all that's written in that document was right and good. So it requires a lot of attention. And that word was used for leaders in towns whose duty was to keep watching over the citizens, over the people. Look at he says, keep watch, keeping watch, awake. And he says, here, here is a very important contrast, you see. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. Implying that they are above them, looking at them. So at the same time, they are among the people, and they have this role of being over them. Episcopal, they are over the, the flock watching them. So it's very important how Peter constructs that. He says they are among them because in one sense, pastors, elders, they are just sheep like everyone else in the church under the great shepherd. But that doesn't nullify the fact that they are over them. They are leaders in the church. That's very important. Because if you emphasize, if you keep emphasizing just no, the shepherds are just among us. They don't lead us. They are not over us. Like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, over you in the Lord. Then you have anarchy. Everybody does whatever they want. There is no leadership. Everybody does whatever they want to do. But if you emphasize just over you, I'm over you, that leads to a tyrannical type of leadership. So it's very important how Peter structures here. They are among you under the great shepherd, and at the same time, they are over you. Just like, think about you guys who are parents and you have Christian children. You are a Christian just like them, saved by grace alone, deserved hell, you stand in equal grounds. But does that nullify the fact that you are their parents, that you have authority over them? No. You still have authority over them. It's very important to think through these things because there are so many circles in the church today where we don't need leaders. The priesthood of all believers is if we don't need leaders. And he says, exercising oversight, overseeing, examining the flock. Examining what? What are they supposed to oversee? Everything in the church. They have the duty of overseeing everything in the church. The songs that the church sings. I have been talking to a pastor friend of mine. He said, wow, one of the hardest jobs right now is to go through all the songs. Because the pastor before never examined the songs you're singing. So there are a lot of songs filled with heresy. Why? Because the pastor didn't fulfill. The elders didn't fulfill their role of watching over, examining, making sure. How about the books? 
the conversations, the finances, the needs, the problems, the difficulties, habits in church members' lives. So they must exercise oversight. Oversight. Examining, guarding, checking. And how do you exercise oversight? Can you exercise oversight? Drowsy? Sleepy? No. And that's why it leads us to the altar of Hebrews. Look how he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Very interesting word. Agrupinel. The A there is the prefix. It's a negative. And then you have the, the other word that comes from hypnosis, from where we have hypnosis in English. Literally means without sleep. No sleeping. Without, uh, without any unnecessary time off. And the imagery here in Hebrews 13 is that the leaders are keeping awake during the night because they're concerned about the members of the church. Sleepless nights, thinking about the members of the church, watching over their soul, praying for them. If you aspire to be an elder, that's one of the duties. Watching over the soul, stay awake. Alert! What's going on? While everybody's sleeping spiritually, everybody thinks that everything is going okay. The elders are watching over. That doesn't smell good here. There's, that smells like wolf here. Mm, I came across a book in the congregation. That's not good. They're watching over your souls, taking care of you while everybody's sleeping, being drawn by the charisma of a person in the church, and everybody's blindly. Accepting that person in the church. The elders are supposed to be awake watching. And they notice something strange. And a lot of times the, the members of the church do not notice that. Why? Because we are awake. We are watching. Pay attention to what's going on. Noticing how the person is getting involved with other members in the church. When everybody in the church is intoxicated by the charisma of a wolf, the shepherd must be alert. While everyone else is being carried away by a new book with deceptive doctrine, the pastors must be sniffing, investigating, just like the German shepherds that the canine have. That's our duty. What's going on? And a lot of people don't like that. Why are you, why are you minding my business? Why are you coming to my life? Because you're watching over your soul! And you're going to give an account to the Lord! That's why! That's why! Peter goes on, look at verse 8. First Peter chapter 5, look at verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Shepherds are watching. There is a lion. And he wants to devour the flock. That's all we are doing. We care for you. It's not like it's fun for us to get into your lives and tell you something that's wrong with your life. That's not fun. You think it's fun? It's not fun. We don't enjoy that. But it's our duty to keep our eyes open. And we see, hmm, there's something here. There's something here. And that's why metaphors always have a limit. There's always a limit. Because do you see, if you apply the metaphor of a, a shepherd, literally, you can just grab the sheep and it's over. But there is a limit because some people don't want that and they leave the church. Once we start showing your care by exercising oversight over their lives, they did know what they say. I'm done. I'm out of here. So he says, as those who will give an account to the Lord. Here's why we must be watching, awake, 
exercising oversight because one day we are going to stand before the Lord and give an account. I will give an account for John's life, for Rebecca and Daniel's life, Abby's life, Nestor and Ruth, Rachel, Dan and Susan, James, Casey, Betsy. We're going to give an account for these people. There is an appointment. It's set up already, this meeting with Christ. All of us are going to encounter with Him, and you're going to have to give an account. But leaders are going to have to give a, even a greater account. How did you shepherd my people? How did you shepherd them? That's crazy to think. Jesus in His planner there, there is a day, I don't know what day it is, but it's there. I'm going to meet with Guga. I'm going to meet with Brian. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Whenever He takes me away. And He's going to say, how did you take care of my sheep for whom I died? How did you take care of them? And people play. People mess around with pastoral ministry. That's serious business. And that's why formal membership is so important. You know, I'm not going to give an account for people who didn't submit themselves to my care. I'm not going to give an account for people who show up here whenever they feel like. I'm not going to give account for people in other churches. We're going to talk more about that later. So we see what the leaders are supposed to do. But not only what they are supposed to do, but how they are supposed to do because God cares about how we do the things we do. God cares how you parent your children. Not just that you're parenting. God cares how you work at your business. Not just that you're working. How you're working. How is your heart? And you see that Peter gives three, three pairs of contrasting phrases. You see? Not but. Not but. Not but. And notice that God uses prohibitions. Because some people get offended. Oh, the password said... You shall not. Oh, the pastors in that church prohibited you of some things. Because the Bible does that. We need prohibitions. God knows us. So He gives prohibitions and positive commands. And for us parents, we need to think through this. We need always to balance the prohibitions with positive commands. Those who have business, you have employees under you, you've got to mix that. Prohibitions with positive commands. So the Lord cares. How? How? What is the motivation behind the shepherding? Not just that you're shepherding, not just that you're watching over their souls, but how are you exercising that? And the heart of the motivation we saw is love one another. And love is something that Peter has been developing through his letter. And I want to show you. Look at chapter 1. Turn there. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. Now, look at chapter 2, verse 17. Love the brotherhood. Chapter 2, verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, and brotherly love. A tender heart and a humble mind. Did you dress yourself this morning with this? Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. Now chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So this is the thread throughout First Peter of love that's binding his whole letter together. Loving one another. And that's the motivation that Peter wants from the elders. Here is how we are going to show your love towards the people. And that's something that is lacking in churches. 
Every time they're looking for a pastor, they're always looking for what? His academic degree. Where did you get your degree? What is your background? But never looking at the size of his heart. Does this man love the people of God? So, Peter goes on and he shows us how love is manifested in the life of the elders. And first, by the proper reason for shepherding. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says, Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. And here's the first prohibition. Not under compulsion. The word compulsion here means pertaining to being obligatory. And it speaks of outside constraint, a force pushing the man. Peter is saying the first thing, never exercise eldership because of some outside or exterior force pushing you to do that. Don't ever do that. That's tragic. And you might say, what are some of these external compulsions? There are many. Sometimes parents. The kid is sick and they say, Lord, if you heal this baby... He will be a minister in your house. So they keep just telling the boy over and over again. So there is this external compulsion. Oh, the Lord healed you. Now you need to be a minister. How about in charismatic circles? I saw that a lot. People come and prophesy. Oh, you are called to the pastoral ministry. That person had nothing to do with that. External pressure. Ooh, the church policy requires more than one elder. Oh, I guess it's my turn now. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. Other reasons. Some men, they don't step out of eldership because fear. What are they going to think of me if I step down of eldership? We need more than one elder. It's better to have one qualified elder than a group of men who are not qualified. That they're dealing with sins in their lives. That they need to step down to take care of their lives. So be careful. Pressure from parents. Pressure from the church. Pressure from people around you. Those are external, external forces pushing men to the office. And let me tell you, you don't need to be a prophet or the son of a prophet or have a crystal ball to know that in the end it's going to be tragic. A man who has not been called by God, a man who is in the pastoral ministry because of external pressure, let me tell you, when the sheep get dirty, when the sheep bite you, do you know what they're going to do? I'm out of this, man. I'm out of here. Circumstantial compulsion leads to the destruction of the flock. He will be frustrated. He will be burned out. He will walk away. You don't need to know rocket science. You know that if a man is being pushed to the pastoral ministry because of external pressure, that's going to be tragic. So many churches. It's your turn to be an elder now, brother. What is that? You want to destroy the flock of God? But on the other hand, there is a holy compulsion. There is a God-given, spirit-generated ambition and compulsion. And I would say that without it, a man ought not to step into the pastoral ministry. If you don't have this holy compulsion, and not every man has, not every man has, not every man is supposed to. James 3, few of you be teachers, brothers. Not every man is called to the pastoral ministry. But those who are called, they have this holy ambition, this holy compulsion. That's why Peter says, not under compulsion, but willingly, with one's will. Look how Paul says, First Timothy chapter three, verse one. If any man stop here, what is the requisite for a pastor? The first one, the first thing he must be what? A man, a man. It's right here in the text. Okay. 
The first qualification needed is that he must be a man. If any man, and here's the second qualification, if any man aspires to the office, interesting word, to aspire there, the first word, oregomai, oregomai, means to stretch forth, reach out one's hand, and it speaks of an external force that he's promoting. Not coming from outside, but there is something inside that's causing that man to stretch himself. He's pursuing eldership. He's pursuing the pastoral ministry. There is something in him that you can see that that man is pursuing that. He cares for the people. He's studying the scriptures. He has been reading theological books. He loves taking care of people in the church. So you see that there is this stretching that he's doing to serve in pastoral ministry. So, the first one is the external effort. Then the second one, look at what he says. Paul says, If any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires epithomel. He desires a noble task. And this word is even stronger. It talks about burning passion. It's burning his heart and his bones to serve the church by taking care of the flock. It's an internal passion to serve the church. The man's heart is completely and deeply set on serving Christ in this office. The same word sometimes is translated as lust, coveting, showing that there must be this holy coveting, this holy ambition to lay down his life to shepherd the flock of God. So the man who aspires to be an elder must have this burning passion and will be manifested through actions of love. In the end of the day, brothers and sisters, the leaders can encourage someone we can ask someone to pray about it, but we cannot make anyone pastors. We can make anyone elders. We can't. That must be God. That must be the Spirit. So, yes, we can encourage men to say, hey, we look at your life, we see these characteristics, we see something. Would you pray about that? How is it going with you? What have you been aspiring? But we can never say, the Lord is calling, you need to be a pastor. By no means. Mm-mm-mm-mm. No, that's tragic. Look how he says. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Going back to 1 Peter. Let me see if I have here. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. And then the ESV says, as God would have you. The Greek word there is very important. Literally says, but willing, corresponding to God corresponding to God. And the picture that Peter has here in mind is that we are to shepherd God's people just like God shepherd His people. There is no external force upon Jesus, upon the Lord, to shepherd God's people. It's out of His love. It's out of His heart. There's no compulsion. There's this will. Why, Why, Lord? Because I love you. Because I love you. So that's what Peter is saying. When elders shepherd this way, not under compulsion, they are shepherding like God. God never shepherds His people under outside pressure and constraint, but always because His heart is filled with love towards His people. So that's the proper reason. Now Peter goes on and he gives the proper motivation for, for pastoring a church. Look at that. Not for shameful gain. The word shameful gain is speaks of all sorts of sinful monetary gains. The self-seeking interest in financial gains, status, desire for more money, desire for riches. And if you go to First Timothy chapter 3, if you go to Titus chapter 1, 
you see that an elder cannot love money. You look at the man's life, and there cannot be any sign of greediness. He's greedy for money. By no means. Very important. God has always, always abhorred lust for money. You read the Old, you read the New Testament. Why? Because that's idolatry. You're placing money in the place of the Lord. But especially church leaders. Why? Because they are to set the example to the flock. And as you think about, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, think of why is Peter telling the elders that about money? Why is he talking about money? First of all, because they had the oversight over finances. Elders are in charge of the money in the church. They're supposed to. We have this wrong conception that money should be given to somebody else. No, the elders, they oversee everything in the church. It's their duty. The Lord's going to ask us, what did you do with the money we gave you? That I gave you? That I gave the church? Oh, you need to talk to the accountants in the church. They're going to say, no, uh, uh, uh. You are the shepherds of the church. So first, because elders were in charge of money, and therefore there was a temptation to gain some money in a shameful way. And second, because elders, since the early church, they received a salary. They received payment. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.17, especially those who teach. Because they are giving their lives to labor in teaching, so they had a salary. And sometimes you hear people, they talk as, as if it is more noble thing that the pastor doesn't get paid by the church. I, I don't know where you're getting that from. I think, yes, the pastor should never be a burden to the church. That's why I work outside the church. But man, I would love to get full-time here. And there's no shame in that. It's my life. I give my life to, to shepherd you, studying, preparing. That's fine. So there is nothing noble when, when people say, oh, he doesn't get money from the church. It's okay if he doesn't need that. If he has a lot of money in the bank account, that's perfectly fine. But if he's working, serving the congregation, there's no problem. And they received salaries. Jesus said that the, the, the worker is worthy of his wages. Paul talks about that. And since they received a salary, there was a temptation of elders to receive the money in a shameful way. So, so, so here's the thinking maybe of some in the church there. Hmm, that's, that's kind of a good job. I'll stand, i speak, spend time with people, read the scriptures whenever if you like, visit people when they're sick. Hmm. Better than fixing cars, better than painting, better than selling insurance. You see, the pastoral ministry can be the perfect place for lazy and greedy people. But remember, you're going to give an account before the Lord of what you're doing and how you're doing. Uh, so, not, Peter is very clear, not for shameful gain. Why? Because when the heart of the pastor is on what he will acquire from the flock... Be sure that when threat comes, he's out of that church. If he's thinking about money, just like Jesus says in John chapter 10, the hireling is thinking about the money. So when threat comes, guess what? Hmm, I have a better proposal. The other church on the corner, they're paying more. I need to go. Why? That's what's driving him, the money. So look at the, 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 the antidote that Peter gives. The remedy here. It's interesting. He doesn't say but be content. Instead, he says, but eagerly, but eagerly, with eagerness. Interesting word, very powerful word, prothumos, prothumos, the prefix there, 
extremely strong and express enthusiasm and a devoted zeal. It refers to an energetic spirit. So instead of being concerned about what you're going to get, what you're going to make financially, actually are to be eager, excited to serve those people no matter what you receive in the end of the day. Eager, with zeal. And that's what you're to require from us, the leaders in your church. Are they eager to serve me? Are they eager to serve us? Are they zealous for the church? That's what you need to, to require from us. Can you imagine you come to church Sunday after Sunday? The elders of the church, the pastors of the church. Oh man, another Sunday I need to come and preach to these people. Another Sunday that I need to come and see these people. Another Sunday that I need to come and, and hug James and hug Luke. Oh man, are you serious? Man, I need to preach again. Never in my life. Sunday is the most exciting day. Wednesday night too. When we see each other. Some of you know, you have talked to me. Oh man, when you start shouting, you start screaming when you're preaching. Enthusiasm, zeal, eager to shepherd you. What I'm talking about here is important for your soul. I care about you. Can you imagine a candidate to eldership asking these questions? How much time will this pastoral ministry require from me? How many hours will be out of my house? How many Sundays in a month do I need to be in church? How often do I need to open my house to receive people? How much I will be making? Can you imagine a person, candidate to eldership, to pastor you thinking these things? And there are many who are thinking like that. Greedy men, selfish men cannot be elders. And let me say something to you. Greedy wives block their husbands from pastoral ministry. That's very important. Because when you're getting a man to be an elder, you better look at his wife. You better look at the family. We need to. Paul commands us that. Is she greedy? Is she always thinking about money? Is she always complaining about where they live, what they drive, what they wear, what they eat? Because be sure that's going to affect his pastoral ministry. A woman, a wife, who doesn't want the husband spending time with the church members? Be sure. That's tragic. That's tragic. And I have had the experience of having a man whom I loved. I loved that guy. I would love to have served this thing as a pastor in another church. And I remember Rachel was there. We were sitting at the table in our living room, him and his wife. And I had to tell her, you disqualify your husband from the ministry. You gossip. You're greedy. You complain about your husband being early to church, leaving later. It's the truth. So when, if you move, find another church, I always think about these things. I always think about these things. It's very important what the Lord wants from His leaders. Because be sure that the wife will affect that man's pastoral ministry. He needs a wife that shares the same disposition. A wife who is excited and zealous about serving, laying her life down for the church. And not thinking about money. Because let me tell you, the last thing you're going to get, at least faithfully preaching is money. You know, it's like, if you want to be rich, better either pervert the gospel, do something else, because it's really impossible. And I would say, it's not even good for a pastor to be greedy, more money, I need more money. It's a horrible example to the flock. So, the proper motivation, and now we move to, third, the proper manner towards the people. Look at the verse 3. It says, Not domineering, over those in your charge. 
Pastors are prohibited of exercising abusive and tyrannical leadership. Interesting word, domineering there. It's two Greek words, kata, that's down upon the prefix, and then you have the kurios, kurios, lord. So it's a type of lordship where it's heavy-handed, oppressive. One commentator says the word depicts a heavy-handed use of authority for personal gains. What is Peter saying here? Just because sometimes people exercise abusive leadership, they should have no leaders? And you meet so many people. Oh, I had a bad experience church leadership. I'm not going to church anymore. I don't want any leaders over my life. The Bible never replaces bad and sinful leadership for no leadership. Okay? So he says, not domineering those in your charge. Peter is speaking about a style of leadership that's sinful. It's perverted. It's just like Pharaoh in Egypt, a slave master. Do you remember the, the quote that I brought last Sunday about the man in Israel, in Palestine? And he was asking the guide, why is this pastor behind the flock? Do you remember the answer? Oh, he's not a pastor. He's a, he bought the sheep and he's going to slaughter them and eat them. That's the type of leadership... You go as a slave master from behind, as your cattle. Now we go to the front, leading them. That's what Peter wants. There is a difference between having authority and being authoritarian. That's very important because church leaders have authority. Preach, rebuke, exhort. I command you these things. So we have authority. But there is a difference between authoritarianism. What is authoritarianism? Yes, abuse of authority. Okay, so it's very important to keep this in mind. And if I can give an example of right authority. We have an issue in the church. The elders gather together. We pray. We read the scriptures. Many times we talk to the congregation to hear. We talk to other leaders in other churches whom we respect. And once we come with a decision, we present. And we always present telling you how, why we are doing that. Not just... That's what you're going to do because that's how we need to do because we want like that. Never like that. It should not be like that. That's domineering. That's abuse of authority. One commentator says, All true rule or reign in the church is in no sense lordship, but administration of Christ's lordship. That's very important. That's why Paul says we are stewards. The Lord of the church is Jesus. We are not to lord you. We are stewards who, who are under Christ to help you, to organize, to lead you. And look what Peter says, not domineering. Here's the ESV, those in your charge. That's very important here. Let me see, go back here. Yes, right there. Those in your charge. I don't know if you have the NIV. It says, those entrusted to you. The King James Version, I believe, has uh, over God's heritage. NESB has over those allotted to your charge. Hey, wh why are you talking about that? That's important. The language that Peter is using here. It's a language of inheritance. Inheritance. Allotted to you. That's crucial to understand. This language in, in the Greek version of the Old Testament was used for the land of Israel, for Israel itself, and now Peter is applying to the church. And the picture that Peter is painting is one that each local church is a visible representation of God's people given to the leaders, the elders, so that they may take care of them. God has given the elders of each local church a group of people an inheritance 
that they are to shepherd. That's a beautiful picture. So you don't exercise this abusive leadership. Do you know why? Because they belong to God. It's His inheritance to you. You better take care of them. The picture here is that the pastor's inheritance is the flock. What the Lord is giving you are these people to take care of. That's amazing. What the Lord is giving the elders is not a nice house, a bank account filled with money, a nice car. No. The inheritance that the Lord gives His leaders is a group of people for whom Christ died and you are to take care of them. That's why it's so crucial formal membership. You might ask, I ask you, who are the leaders of the church? You know, right? Then if I ask you, who are the people that the leaders of the church are supposed to be an example, shepherd, love? If you're going to say, us, we, who are we? People who come once a month? People who have no commitment to this church? No. That's why it's important. We need to know who these people are that the Lord is given under our care. Who the inheritance is. Who are these people that the Lord is giving? Because He's going to hold us accountable. The inheritance the pastors receive in this life is the congregation that God has given them to lead, guide, and feed. So Peter says, not domineering over those in charge, and here is the antidote, but being examples to the flock. Example of servanthood, Elders lead the church through preaching, teaching, and through example. Example of life. That's why you go to First Timothy, you go to Titus 1, and the qualifications for elders, for pastors, it's all about the character. Why? Because they need to lead by example also. Not just teaching. Paul says, pay attention, pay careful attention to your teaching and your what? Your life. How you're living. That's what Peter is is saying right here. Not domineering over those in your church, but being examples to the flock. That's why it's so important. This man who is aspiring, the elders, the people in your church, the leaders of your church, do you look at them? Despite their shortcomings, despite their sins, do you see them as examples to the flock? Men who lead you in the Lord, men who guard you, men who feed you, men who strive to live holy lives. And then finally, let me finish right here, very quickly, the, the leader's reward. And when the chief shepherd, here's the senior pastor, Jesus Christ, when he appears, you receive an unfading crown of glory. Here's the ultimate reward of shepherding. An unfading crown of glory, not in this life, the life to come. And do you know what's so amazing? Do you know what pastors, faithful pastors, will do with that crown once they receive that crown? We're just going to cast at His feet and say, Do you know what? It's all by Your grace. It's all by Your mercy. It's all by Your power. Who are we to wear those crowns? So that's, that's the game that we have as pastors. An unfading crown of glory that in the end we're just going to give and throw at His feet. Not in this life. Not in this life. We're going to hear, uh, Good job. Good job, my faithful slave. My faithful servant. My faithful under-shepherd. That's what you need to expect. That's what you need to expect from your elders, from your leaders. Now you know, now you know, brothers and sisters, what you ought to expect from your leaders. We promise, we promise, the leaders of this church, we promise we will not give you entertainment. We will not make you feel comfortable. We will not make you feel happy and with an elevated self-esteem. That's not what you're promising you. We don't promise programs for your kids. We don't promise political involvement. But what we promise is to shepherd you, 
to shepherd you, exercising oversight, staying awake, watching over your soul. And let me tell you, a lot of times that's bothersome for some of you. Why are you telling me that? Why are you confronting me with that? Because we love you. Because we're watching over your life. We're watching over your soul. We care for you. That's all we promise. We promise to feed you with healthy blocks of doctrine, sound doctrine, and we promise to exercise our pastoral role, not under compulsion, but eager. Not for shameful gain. Mm-mm. Not domineering, but trying to the best of our abilities to be an example to you. And that's what you must expect. That's what you must require from us. And we hope to do that as long as the Lord allows us. Always looking to Him, the Great Shepherd. And the beauty of all these duties, as we have been seeing, the more we perform these duties, the more they become what? Privileged. The more we exercise our pastoral, pastoral duties in this manner, the more we resemble Jesus Christ, the Great Shepherd, who loved the glory of the Father above His own personal gain, who never exercised a sinful, tyrannical lordship over, over His people. So that's what you must expect. That's what you must pray for us. And in any church that you go, maybe we will move from here. That's what you must expect from your leaders. You must know them. They must be among you. Don't give the excuse that, oh, this church is too big. They cannot know me. You need to know. They need to be among you. You need to know them. They're over your soul. At least they're supposed to. Be careful. Be careful with churches where the people who are taking care of you are, are small group leaders are not pastors. Be very careful with this. And that's a, it's very trendy nowadays. Big church, the elders, the pastors cannot take care of everyone. Therefore, hey, we have small group leaders. Be very careful. Because now you know what you are to expect from your leaders. Now you know what you are to require from your leaders. Father, we thank you. We thank for your word. And we thank you for your high standards, Lord. And we thank that you are gracious. And we pray your help. We pray your mercy upon us, Lord, upon this church. I pray that the members here would expect and require from the leaders nothing more and nothing less than what you want from us. So we cry out for your help, Lord. Place our eyes on you, O Chief Shepherd. And we thank you that even when we fail, even when we sin, the Chief Shepherd never fails. He never sins. Even when we fall asleep, You are always watching over Your people, Lord. You are the perfect shepherd. The one who laid down Your life for us. To save us. So we thank You. We praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.